0: Hey y'all, I'm Paul Sievers, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you're listening to Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Today we have a special episode for you. Our CEO, Jack Sutton, is retiring after 30 years with Great Parks, 17 of which he spent as our director and CEO. While it is bittersweet, we really wanted to get him in the studio before his next adventure and talk about his time with Great Parks, the accomplishments, the stories, and the future. We are joined now by Jack Sutton, our current CEO, but soon to be retired after 30 years with Great Parks. So I wanted to take a moment and just ask him a few questions about his time with Great Parks. So Jack, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, Paul. So first off, uh, Great Parks is now somewhere over 17,500 acres. So when you first started as CEO, uh, back in 2002, if you recall, how many acres did we have then? And in that time, is there a specific tract of land that you were
1: kind of especially excited or proud to to obtain? In 2002, we stood at right about 14,272 acres. So, since that time, since the last almost 17 years, we've added just under 4,000 acres of new parkland. But when I think about the growth of Great Parks, I I also think about my entire tenure here because when I joined Great Parks in 1989, I came in as a park planner within the planning department where land acquisition resided. So I find it interesting. If I look back to the beginning of 1989, our total acreage was just a little over 9,900 acres. So we've added 7,760 plus acres in my 30 years here. And that's pretty exciting to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one thing that when we have, you know, programs and we have the general public or private groups or school groups or whatever come in, one thing that as interpreters, we always want them to know is that this is, these are their parks, this is their land. So, um, you know, we talk about, you know, great parks and these things that we are getting as great parks. But, you know, I, I really want people to understand that when we say we, we really mean Hamilton County in in the community that this is, you know, this is their land. So that's about, that's a lot bigger than I, I kind of didn't want to do the math. I was like, I didn't want to look back. I want to kind of find out myself. So that,
1: wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. And the interesting thing, every piece of property we've acquired has its own story behind it. Some of them in our view may be relatively short and narrow and some are very broad and, and are parallel our existence since 1930 in many ways. So personally, I,
0: I like that you said that, because personally, you know, my office is at Farbuck Werner, and it's in Corian Township. My family goes way back in Corian Township, and one aspect that I really like is, you know, the barn and the house there were built in the 1830s, early 1840s, when my family at that time was just down the road. And so it's neat to me that when I go to work, knowing that, you know, my ancestors would have been friends with the people that built this house
1: and this barn that's now my my office. Yeah, it makes it much more tangible. Makes it yeah. much more a part of your life today and when you were growing up. Absolutely, absolutely. Paul, one of the one of the projects I'm very proud of here is the establishment of Glenwood Gardens, and from a land acquisition standpoint, it has a story that's I think most people would find quite surprising. So, as you know, and you've heard me talk about in various uh, update meetings, Great Parks was established in 1930, and our very first park was Sharon Woods, but as we look back at board minutes and board records of the planning activities that occurred in the early 1930s, our board at that time were looking at three different properties. One was called Columbia Park at the time and is now what we know as Shawnee Lookout. A second property was called the Chef Farm on Sheffield Road. Uh, They chose not to acquire that, and they went for the parcel in Sharonville that today we know as Sharon Woods. But the Sheffield Road property has now become Glenwood Gardens. And the Park District continued a conversation with that family, even from the 30s, on and off. When I joined the Park District in 89, we kind of began the conversation again. And I had the fortune to spend time with that current property owner. His name was Ralph Burschnell. Mr. Burschnell has since passed away. But I can remember in the early 1990s, visiting him at his farm, in his barn and in his office in his barn, he had a sign over the door that said World Headquarters. And Ralph was a very unique individual. He was a banker, very shrewd, very smart, but his family had owned that property all his life. And we were very interested in seeing preserved, and eventually we were able to accomplish that. But the the funnest memory I have of visiting Ralph in his World Headquarters is we would meet in a small office and the office had a desk, an office chair, and no other chairs for guests. And when we would come over, myself and another employee, uh, we would be required to sit on the feed sacks on the floor, <laughs> noticeably lower than Mr. Bursnell's desk chair. <laughs> and I'm sure he did that for a reason. Uh, but all in good humor, and we eventually were able to acquire his property. In fact, his mother, when she passed, she bequeathed the house and 11 acres of what is now Glenwood Gardens, and we were able to purchase uh, a considerable amount more to, to round out the size of the park.
0: I didn't, I've never heard that story. That's pretty, that's kind of neat. That I mean, all three of those are now parks that they had originally looked at. And and, that's, I mean, a beautiful, such a beautiful property. To...
1: And, and another tie to history is Ralph's grandfather was named Ralph Rogan, who was one of our first three park commissioners, who was appointed in 1930. And so there was sort of a generational connection to the park district that circled back literally after 60 years of the park district's establishment, where we ended up acquiring the personal property that now is Glenwood Gardens.
0: Over the last few years, a large part of your work has involved connecting the Little Miami Scenic Trail to the Ohio River Trail, and that's only a few years out now with the eventual completion of the Beachmont Connector. What will that final connection mean to great parks and the citizens of Hamilton County?
1: Well, I've often used the term, it's going to be a game changer. It literally will connect the Little Miami Scenic Trail that, as you know, dead ends at Beachmont Avenue. But once we cross the river, we'll connect to the Lunkin Bike Path and then the Ohio River Trail, which is actually in place all the way to Schmidt Park, Schmidt uh, Landing. And that then, you will be able to Arrive at Schmidt, put the back tire of your bicycle in the Ohio River, and ride a continuous trail to Lake Erie, where you can put the front wheel of your tire in Lake Erie in just a few short days. So it's going to connect Little Miami Scenic Trail to downtown Cincinnati eventually, and connect Cincinnati to Cleveland. That's exciting. I, I
0: I've been looking forward to that for a long time. I mean, I you know ride on the Little Miami, and you know especially around uh, Avoca mm-hmm. and Bass Island and those areas, and so. Be able to just, I don't know if I'll be able to go all the way to Lake (laughs) Erie, you know, maybe in pieces, but um, that's just, that's, yeah, that's really exciting. Kind of shifting gears here a little bit. When you first started, in a lot of ways, no one was really worried about honeysuckle. No one had necessarily heard of Lester celandine. The Emerald Ash borer was not even in the United States yet. And these are all invasive species that are somewhat household- um, names at this point, and great parks had to implement new conservation programs to fight these these threats. How have environmental threats changed in your tenure, or have they you know really changed, and what is your
1: outlook on the environmental threats now compared to when you started? Mm-hmm. A word about honeysuckle, I granted, 30 years ago, we didn't have the same practices and programs in place to try to remove it, but we certainly knew it to be a threat. In fact, I remember when I was in college taking a horticulture identification course, a professor at the time pointing to Amur Honeysuckle and saying, those of you who want to be landscape architects, beware that if you plant that in the wrong location, it can get out of hand. It can take over. And he cited other examples. Uh, kudzu is a great example if you've ever been in the south of non-native species taking over forest lands so fast forwarding back to uh, over the last 20 or 30 years we've known these threats are in front of us we just haven't had the appropriate resources to battle them and over time and i would say definitely over the last 15 to 20 years we've devoted more resources from the park district to address things like honeysuckle uh, white-tailed deer population Now we're seeing the things such as the emerald ash borer and the amount of resources we've had to dedicate to that from a risk management standpoint. It's been astronomical. So I think going forward, we have to recognize these are major threats to our local habitat and ecosystems. And we have to sort of dedicate the appropriate size resources to, to combat those threats. Will we be able to eradicate bush honeysuckle from all of our parkland? It's unlikely. But we can certainly make strategic decisions on what are the most important lands to preserve and protect where we have the greatest opportunity to enhance biodiversity?
0: It's interesting growing up, you know, again, in Hamilton County, and I would just roam the woods most of the day, which is a large part of why I do what I do today. But I always just thought that honeysuckle was just a native natural part of the landscape. And a part of me, then I'd go to school and learn the history of the area and how, you know, the pioneers first moved in and then I'd go home and play out in the woods and I can't get through this honeysuckle. And I think, how did these people get through this to, you know, with all their wagons and horses or whatever else. And then I'd later realized, Oh, this is not what it is supposed to look like. It's should be nice and open and and free. And so it just to be able to go to parts of the park that have been, you know, eradicated of honeysuckle and then you can see, Oh, this yeah. this is the real deal. This is what it should look like.
1: Yeah, it is hard to think that probably by, it was 1950s or 60s that when it really exploded, and it seems like Cincinnati is at ground zero with respect to honeysuckle invasion. And I would encourage listeners to not only come to one of their great parks to see it, but venture outside the region just a little bit. So, for example, there's a Versailles State Park In Versailles, Indiana, not but an hour from Cincinnati, there's very little honeysuckle there even today. It hasn't landed there yet. You can go east to the edge of Appalachian, you can find areas over there that aren't overwhelmed with honeysuckle, and take a walk over there on a spring day and see the wildflowers and the native vegetation flourishing, and then come back to see what we have in front of us here. It's a great lesson to learn.
0: You can almost, I feel like you can almost just drive west through indiana sometimes and just see the line where it almost stops i mean it's almost like a physical line it's like oh there's honeysuckle now it's gone Mm -hmm. because it just hasn't yeah and hopefully it won't go too much further than it already has so do you have a favorite experience or story from your time with great parks that you'd like to share and i left this one kind of open-ended like giving you no you know just any any type of experience
1: yeah, I, the one I've thought about over the time, obviously there's many experiences, but the one I reflect on often is something that happened within the first couple years of me joining Great Parks. One of the very first projects I was involved with was the, the acquisition of the land and the development for Shaker Trace Trail at Miami Whitewater Forest. And I was a park planner at the time, and so the role I played was to develop a master plan for what would become Shaker Trace. I, I did the layout. I worked with a surveyor, had the survey surveyor basically survey in the alignment, the proposed alignment for this trail. Then myself, a person from land management, and our park engineer, we literally walked the eight-mile trail uh, over the course of two days. And as we walked it, we would look at the alignment kind of forward, backward, and, and we would l- make physical changes within the alignment. And one of the changes I proposed, I said, now let's, let's shift this – over just a little bit more, I want to get more of a curve so it has a sweeping effect. And as we shifted it over, John Klein, the land manager, walks the new alignment, reaches down and pulls up an arrowhead. So the the giggle I get is, had I not made that adjustment, and they were kidding me all day long about making so many adjustments. Had we not made that adjustment, John would have never found that arrowhead that day. Uh, But they also kidded me for uh, creating so many S curves in the Shaker Trace Trail.
0: You know when that when that you it brings up some good memories for me. you've actually brought up quite a few good memories for me, but when that trail first opened, my parents had the brilliant idea of taking my sister and I to walk that whole outer loop i I mean I was eleven twelve years old. that was a long day that was a very long day and I mean I look back now like I love that trail I've been on that trail
1: i I can't even count you know how many times I've done that whole trail, but um Well, did you know, Paul, that much of that land was formerly owned by the Shakers in the 19th century. Uh, There were three Shaker uh, families, settlements, and their name for that village was the Lonely Plain of Tribulation. That may have been what you felt like that day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have to call my dad whenever we get done here and let him know. Lonely Plain of Tribulation. That's, Yeah. So now that that trail has been in place for quite a while, when you go and do that trail again, is there anything that you look at that say oh, we should have done this differently, or you know, are you happy with what it is?
1: I guess I think we got it right. I mean, you can always rethink something, but you know, as a planner, as a landscape architect, I literally designed it on on the topo and map and took into effect features, and then the idea of developing more wetland spaces. But one of the aha moments is out about mile marker 3.2, 3.4. It's where there's a shelter up on top of Knoll. And if you look back south, and I didn't realize this at the time so much, but when you look back south, you see the wetlands kind of off to your right, and you see the ridgeline that is where our radio cell tower is in the background. And pretty much almost 180 degrees is protected park land protected viewshed. So I'm a, I really enjoy views, long distant views. And that was one that is, I think is spectacular because it's going to be that way forever. No matter what happens in terms of housing development, what you see from that particular point should stay relatively uh, undeveloped over time.
0: So as I said earlier, you know, you've now been with the parks for 30 years. What, what does great parks mean to you now?
1: And did they mean something different when you first started? As I look back, I know now I have been extremely fortunate to work with such a creative group of people who design, develop, manage spaces and places for people to connect with nature, to get outdoors. That's really what we're all about. When I started my career, it was more about almost the bricks and mortar of site planning and creating geographic spaces, but it's more about creating spaces for people to enjoy, to create memories, to have experiences that they, they will never forget. So I have one more question,
0: I, and I know this might be a little strange to ask as you retire, um, but where do you hope to see great parks of Hamilton County in 25 years?
1: That's a good question. I would answer by where will we be in 11 years. So in 11 years, the Park District will be 100 years old. 2030, we'll be celebrating our centennial anniversary. And so that's kind of been actually in my mindset for for five or 10 years already. And and I would expect us to be obviously advancing the master plan down the road. I hope by then we have connected the Little Miami Scenic Trail to downtown Cincinnati, perhaps even make serious headway in connecting in the Ohio River Trail from Woodland Mound to Shawnee Lookout. That should be the vision. But those things take time. So if I look out 25 years, gosh, that's 2044. When you look at how the world changes so rapidly, what could we predict? And I think one of the challenges we have not only here in Cincinnati and Hamilton County but all across the country is just the whole issue of dealing with an ever-changing climate, what contributes to that, an ever-changing workforce, how do we accommodate that? And I think one of the things we will probably see change the most is our transportation system, perhaps. Think about it. We all rely on single-occupancy vehicles for the most part, and that's not the best for the environment. So I would like to think that as we look 25 years out and what will our parks look like, I hope we're thinking about how can we integrate active transportation solutions with preserving green space and helping people connect to the outdoors, connect to nature, but maybe in a more sustainable way. Yeah. That's, that's some forward, that's some forward thinking.
0: Yeah. I feel like, especially in, in Cincinnati, um, you know, when you visit some other cities, you'll see their transportation systems are a lot, a lot better. Um, you know, in some ways Cincinnati doesn't have much of a transportation system. Um, And we're just kind of getting the ball rolling now, and so many other cities have been doing it for 100 years.
1: And you know, Paul, with our master plan process, our guests who participated in the input process, one of the strong messages we received is they want easier access to parks, they want parks to be more accessible, and it it was rather surprising to some degree to find out exactly how many people rely on their automobile to get to parks. So public transportation isn't that robust in the suburban areas of Hamilton County, and that's where most of our properties are right now. Um, But maybe it's also looking at public transportation in that first mile, last mile. You may not have to get a bus to Sharon Woods entrance, but if you can get within a mile and then there's a safe route to get from that last mile by bike trail, by widened sidewalk, by shared use roadways, that may be where the solution lies. That isn't as daunting as it might feel. So, after thirty years with great parks, do you
0: have any, you know, words of wisdom um, to share with with the
1: listeners out there? Someone once told me that if you want to predict the future, create it. So, I would say to our guests, to the folks who use their great parks, take care of them. Do everything you can to see them preserved. Be active in the community, let the park district know what you enjoy doing and what you want more of, and help us create the future. Jack, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Um,
0: I have no doubt that I can speak for all of Great Parks when I say thank you for your leadership, thank you for um, all the time that you've spent improving Great Parks. You know, as an employee of Great Parks and even more importantly as somebody that has visited the great parks my whole life to have this land that is conserved to have you know the programs that we do and the recreation that we do the benefit to a community can never be overstated and so your leadership has really improved that and you know therefore has really improved our community and so for all of Great Parks, I feel confident in saying you know, thank you um, for your time. You will be missed, and you're retiring, so I have no reason to suck up, so you know that this <laughs> is sincere. Um, but we really do appreciate all that you've done, uh, and we look forward to the future with the, the foundation that you helped, helped lay. So,
1: well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Paul, for those kind words. I truly feel very fortunate to have spent most of my professional career with Great Parks, uh, so I feel very lucky. It's been a great ride, and um, I look forward to coming visiting often. And Paul also wanted to say I wanted to congratulate you on these podcasts because they've been very enjoyable. They're a blast. It's new technology. You're almost coming up on your first anniversary, I think. So congratulations on creating a new way to tell the Great Park story. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I appreciate appreciate that as well. So it's been it's
0: been fun, folks. That is our show. A special thanks to Jack Sutton for joining us, and more importantly, thank you to Jack for the last 30 years. Great Parks has grown under his leadership and not just in land. Our community is a richer place for the nature we have conserved and available to us, and Jack has played a large part in that. Thank you, listener, for joining us on this special episode today also. Visit our website at greatparks.org for info on all of our parks, and check back next month for our next episode. Until then, I'm Paul Severs. Get outside, enjoy nature.